Welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, welcome to you in the overflows and, you know, the bathrooms and the balconies and every place we can stick people downstairs. We're glad you're here. We added a service this year so that we would not have this happen, but it doesn't seem to matter around here because people like to celebrate Easter around here, don't we? I'm, I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. We love to do it. And I know some of you are like, you're like, man... This is so weird, uptown funk and, you know, all that. I mean, I, I, is this okay? Can I just show you a picture? This is why, why we do what we do around here, okay? This is a picture from Germany. It's, a, it's one of those pictures of the year thing that they send around, you know, on the Internet every once in a while. Somebody snapped this picture, and, and it's such a cool pic because it's this contrast between Oktoberfest going on on the left and St. Paul's Cathedral on the right. But, but as I looked at this picture, I thought, this is the problem. This is the problem. You can either have fun or you can go to church. Why does it have to be an either-or? Why can't we take the swingy things and put them on top of the steeple and pull it all off together, ladies and gentlemen? I ask you. That's what you're here for. We have been, uh, we've been introducing our congregation around here to the God we wish they knew because what we've said is that you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the greatest commandment, if you don't know who God is. And if you think he's mean or he's mad or he doesn't like you or he's boring, you can't, you can't love him very well. And he's not that. So that's why we are doing what we do. And we want to reconnect people with God and with their Heavenly Father who loves them. If you haven't been here since last Easter, welcome back. Um, well, really glad you're here. That grandchild that I announced I was going to have last Easter is now five months old. And uh, I'm going to show you a video of me and Charlie. I had been, hadn't seen Charlie for a couple of months and uh, got to finally be reunited with him. And I'm going to show you this video for two reasons. Number one, because my grandson's adorable and it's my church, so deal with it. <laughs> and, um, and number two, because I want this to be the image of you and God. Forget about all the other images of you and God. Let this be your image of you and your papa. Hi. Did you miss your papa? <laughs> You're so happy to see me. <laughs> I'm happy to see you too. That's awesome. <laughs> I missed you too, buddy. <laughs> I missed you too. <laughs> When's the last time you had that much fun with your papa in heaven? Come on, that's what we're here for, okay? Um, yeah, you, you clap for him. Because of my grandson, none of my family's at Easter services this year. They're all down with him in Nashville. Hey, that's okay. I, I passed on to you, Paul said, what is of first importance? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and so is your faith. We should celebrate, and we should especially celebrate on Easter because it's the most important day. A.W. Tozer said the devil's business is to keep Christians mourning and weeping with pity beside the cross instead of demonstrating that Jesus Christ is risen indeed. It's the difference between being stuck in Friday or hopeful in Sunday, the joy of Sunday. That's what I want you to have. What is it that you are hopeful for? What is it that keeps you alive? What is it that keeps you living? What, what is it? Uh, psychologist William Marston asked 3,000 people, what is it you're hoping for? What do you live for? 94% of them said nothing. 
just enduring our lives, trying to get by. What is it that you hope for? I mean, what is it that you live for? Is it in the next season of Downton Abbey? You know, I can't wait for that to start. Is it baseball season? Cub fans, is this the year? <laughs> you know, the resurrected Wrigley Field is opening on Resurrection Sunday this year. It's opening tonight, it's first game on Resurrection Day. It's not going to help. <laughs> the truth is, if we don't have something to hope for, life gets really miserable. We start to get cynical, and as I'm older and older, I realize that you start to get more and more cynical the less hope that you have. Let me give you an example. Ladies, see what you think. What I want in a man, original age list, original list age 22. There you go. Handsome, charming, financially successful, caring listener, witty, in good shape, dresses with style, appreciates the finer things, full of thoughtful surprises. Didn't find my guy, age 32. Here we go. Um, nice looking, opens car doors, you know, has enough money for a nice dinner at a restaurant, listens more than he talks, laughs at the jokes at appropriate times, can carry in the groceries, whether he's in shape or not, remembers birthdays and anniversaries. Haven't found my guy. I get to age 42. Watch the cynicism. Not too ugly, hair optional. <laughs> Doesn't drive off until I'm in the car. Works steady, splurges on McDonald's sometimes, nods head at appropriate times when I'm talking, usually remembers the punchline of jokes, is in good enough shape to rearrange the furniture, usually wears a shirt that covers his stomach, knows not to buy champagne with screw top lids, and puts the toilet seat lid down, okay? We're getting, we're getting worse, age 52. Keeps the hair in nose and ears trimmed to the appropriate length. Can I get an amen from you ladies? I mean, come on. Guys, if you don't know what the appropriate length for nose hair is, please talk to me later, okay? Doesn't belch or scratch in public, doesn't borrow money too often, doesn't nod off to sleep while I'm talking, doesn't retell the same joke too many times, good enough shape to get off the couch on the weekends, and usually wears matching socks and fresh underwear. No. Age 62, doesn't scare small children. <laughs> Remembers where the bathroom is. Only snores lightly when awake. Doesn't forget why he's laughing. Usually remembers the punchline. Is in good enough shape to stand up all by himself. Usually wears some clothes and remembers where he left his teeth. What I want in a man, age 72. Breathing, that's it. <laughs> if you don't have anything to live for, you start to lose hope and you start to get more and more cynical the older you get. That's why I love this passage we're going to talk about today at Easter. Um, I'm guessing that most of you fought through the traffic and the crowds and you're crammed into this building because you want more than breathing. You, you want more than enduring your life. You want more than Friday. You want Sunday. So I'm going to zero in on how to have Sunday. But the story in the Bible from Luke 24 is, is some guys that are in Sunday, but they're still living in Friday. It's a story from Easter afternoon. Maybe you're not as familiar with it. It's not like the, you know, up from the grave he arose thing. It's, it's in the afternoon, and, and Jesus appears to a couple of guys who are hopeless. These are guys who have followed Jesus. They have been at the cross, and they know what's gone on. They've hung out. They've been followers of Jesus. And, and some of their women, some of the women in, the, in, in their group, had seen the empty tomb and told them that Jesus was alive. They just didn't believe it. They're devastated. They're hopeless. They're in Friday, and Jesus shows up. 
This passage is perfect for you if you're in that situation today. Now, the same day, this is Easter Day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. He's already appeared to a few people, but he pops over into this thing, into this discussion, and it says they were kept from recognizing him. We don't know why they were. And so Jesus walks up to them, and the next verse says, he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? I mean, he knows what they're talking about, but he's asking them this. And again, sometimes the translation just doesn't work very well. You know, I don't think Jesus talked this way. Hello, my friends, what are you discussing as you walk along? The original Greek word is, what's up? Jesus walked up and said, what's up? Now listen, the next verse says, they didn't even answer him. They stood still, their faces downcast. That's Friday. Jesus is dead to them. Jesus is still on the cross. It's Friday. People sometimes ask why we don't have Jesus on the crosses around here at Parkview. And I don't think there's a, a right way or a wrong way to memorialize um, you know, the crucifixion. Does, it doesn't matter. We're, we're saved because of it. We do communion here every week. We're going to do it at the end of the service because we want to memorialize what Jesus did for us on the cross. But we like the cross empty because it is. We baptized 268 people here last weekend. Isn't that awesome? 268 people. <clears throat> and, and if you're visiting, when we do baptism in a tub, we do it by immersion because that's how Jesus did it. You know, that's, it's, a, it's a symbol of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to assure you of something. When we baptize somebody, we always resurrect them. Sometimes we leave some of them down a little longer than the others. <laughs> but we always resurrect them because Friday without Sunday is hopeless. For these guys, they're hopeless. They're stuck in Friday. Maybe you are too. These guys are so down that they're rude to a stranger, which is not the way it normally went in Jewish culture. One of them named Cleopas said, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? Translation, dude, what's your problem? Have you been in a cave? <laughs> yes, I have, but that's beside the point. It, it, this, this is not New York City. This is a place where they're supposed to be nice to strangers, okay? These guys are so deflated, they have no hope whatsoever. Jesus plays along. What, what things, he said? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and the people, and the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Hope is a confident expectation of something that is to come. Had is past tense. We had hoped. That's Friday. Cleopas and his friend used to have hope. They had hope last Sunday when Jesus rode in and people had palm branches and they were saying, hey, the king is here. They had hope and they've had hope as they listened to him teach. But then Friday happened. Friday happened. Friday is when our dreams are stuck in past tense. We had hoped the marriage was going to work out. I had hoped the job was going to come through. I had hoped the cancer was going to go into remission. I had hoped the money was going to come. I had hoped a soulmate was going to show up. We had hoped a baby was going to come. But instead, Friday happened. 
It's really interesting is that what is more, they said, it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning but didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had, women had said, but they did not see Jesus. All right, These guys are downcast even though their friends believe that Jesus is alive. Can, can we just talk about that for a second? Because maybe you've walked in here and you're living in Friday too, and we want to say we're, we're glad you're here and we're... We're never going to put any pressure on you. We're, we're, we're really, really glad that you're here. We want to help you. It's just possible that maybe some of you are living in Friday and you live in a situation where somebody in your family lives in Sunday. Fascinating thing about this, this scripture is that the Bible only usually mentions somebody's name if it's somebody that people know. All right, because you remember that you know Matthew, Mark, and Luke—they're they're writing to people in the early church. They're they're writing these gospels to the people that are in the church. So evidently, he mentions Cleopas because Cleopas is probably a leader in the church when he's writing the letter. He's like, you know, Cleopas. It was Cleopas and his friend. So he mentions Cleopas. The interesting thing is John writes, the Apostle John writes his gospel later than the other ones are written. And that fascinating thing about it is when he talks about the crucifixion, it says near the cross of Jesus were his mother, mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas. Now it's spelled differently, so it may be a completely different person. But again, the name is mentioned. And, it's, and there are some scholars that believe that, that this lady is the wife of this guy in our text today. Like when he says, some of our women said that Jesus was alive, it could have literally been like his woman. You see that? It could have literally be the fact that it's his wife who said, hey, I saw the angel. The angel said, Jesus is alive. And he said, nah, I don't believe you. I'm going home. I want, I, I'm giving you a book today, kind of just a little booklet Every family, I want you to take one of these. It's called The Case for Easter. It's written by Lee Strobel, a friend of mine who uh, is a pastor, but um, he's speaking here next weekend, actually. That's why I wanted you to have this. He's starting a series called The Case for Grace. It's a new book that he's just written, a fantastic book, and, and we're going to talk about grace. But Lee's story is exactly like this. The sub subheading for this book is, A Journalist Investigates the Evidence of the Resurrection. Lee's wife had Sunday. She, uh, she found Jesus. She became a Christian. And Lee was an agnostic. And he said, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm going to figure this out. And he was an investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. So he literally used his journalism skills and his investigative skills and said, I'm going to study Jesus. I'm going to study this. And I'm going to figure out what's going on here. You want to know what went on? He investigative reportered himself into the kingdom of heaven. He studied the scripture and found Jesus to be real. And he's going to be here next weekend. I, I tell you that story because I, I want you to hear him. He's a, he's a great guy, great communicator. But I also won't tell you that story because sometimes one person gets it faster than the other. If somebody in your family lives in Easter and you're still living in Friday, please be open to the fact that it might be something that you want. I'll show you a video that uh, in a funny way exemplifies the fact that sometimes one person in the family gets it and the other person doesn't, okay? Um, it's a Skype video. Uh, my wife and I are up in the corner, up in the little box, with our daughter uh, Lauren, who is our daughter who is married to Tommy, who grew up in the church as well. And they live in, uh, in L.A. They, uh, they, they work for a church that we planted in Ventura, California, okay? 
Um, also, Abby, our adopted Bolivian daughter, is, uh, is, in this, uh, is in this picture in a little tiny box. Big box is Rachel and Ash, the parents of Charlie, our grandson who lives in Nashville. Now, just, just so that you, you can understand why my wife is so confused and why she doesn't get it, because obviously I wouldn't show you a video of me not getting it. I'm going to show you a video of her not getting it. And, and part of the reason is because Tommy's sister, my son-in-law's sister, uh, and her husband just adopted a baby, baby Henry, and it's been a big story. And the reason Lauren's even there, Lauren and Tommy are there, is because of this adoption for baby Henry. So there's a lot of babies going around. Henry's not really related to us. I call him my grandson-in-law. But that's probably why my wife is so confused in this video. That's what I'm going to give you. You watch. This is my favorite one that we got in the mail this week. <laughs> oh, cute. Do you know who sent it to us? No. It wasn't Tina. It must have been Lauren. And it wasn't Ollie. It has a funny look on her face. <laughs> Mom, who sent me this onesie? I don't know. October 12th. <laughs> More like October 15th. Lauren Carreras. Did tell you? Oh, it's Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> what? Lauren's pregnant. Are you kidding? <laughs> I had to wait for her. I had to wait for her. I'm sorry. You said Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I was just telling her I was pregnant when I was her age. <laughs> <laughs> I We're two for two on terrible baby announcements. <laughs> yeah. We just don't expect our kids to get pregnant, I guess. So there's my announcement, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be a grandpa again this year. So I'll have a grandkid in Nashville, a grandkid in California, and never see my wife. That's how that's going to go. Okay. But my new goal is to announce a grandchild coming every Easter for the rest of my life. Pretty excited. I just love that because, you know, sometimes one person in the family just doesn't get it as fast as everybody else. If that's you, we're still glad you're here. We want to help you. Jesus, however, just kind of decides he's going to get in their face. How foolish you are, Cleopas. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. They still don't know it's Jesus. He's like, well, here's what it says about that Jesus guy. And he takes them through the whole Bible. That's important to me because they were stuck in their circumstances and they had not paid attention to the story of God. Whenever you're in your circumstances, you need to find your hope in here. Guys, gals, this is how it works. You find your hope in here, not in your circumstance. Your circumstance may be dark, but the hope is the fact that this is the story of your loving papa up in heaven, your loving father in heaven, who loves you, who created you because he wants to have a relationship with you, and he loves you, and he's bent over backwards to make sure that he could have a relationship with you. If you're in a Friday situation, always go back to this. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he was going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay here with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over, so he went in to stay with them. This is important. Jesus is never going to butt in. Jesus is never going to force his way in. 
He's not like that. He doesn't push his way in. It's a famous painting of Jesus standing at the door um, knocking. This is from Revelations 3.20 where Jesus says, Look at me. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me call and open the door, I will come right in. What you may not know is that there's no latch on the outside of that door. The artist did that on purpose because the door can only be opened from the inside. You have to invite him. Now, what happens a lot of times when I have that conversation is that people say, oh, well, yeah, I'm going to let Jesus in one of these days, but i got to clean my place up first. got some habits I need to get rid of. i got some doubts you know, I need to let go of, some relationships I need to straighten out. Then I'm going to open the door. I said, that's not how it works. These guys had been gone for at least a week. It wasn't like they went and cleaned up the house so that Jesus could come in. Jesus doesn't care. As a matter of fact, he's really the only way you're ever going to get your house clean anyway is if you let him in. Then when he was at the table with them, he broke bread. He took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. As soon as they broke bread, which we're going to do in a minute, their eyes were opened, and they realized it was him. And he didn't need to be there in the flesh anymore. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when we were talking on the road and when he opened the scriptures to us? You'll find out when you get to Sunday, when you get to the place where you believe in Sunday, which I hope is today, you'll look back on your life and you'll think, that was Jesus. That, that was Jesus telling me that. That was Jesus calling me. That was God. That was an experience that, that God was trying to call me home. I just wasn't listening. Their eyes were opened with one little piece of bread, and it changed everything. The New Testament uses the word hope 71 times. 70 of those times are after the resurrection. Doesn't par- the Bible doesn't promise that there won't be Friday situations. Friday situations still happen for the believers. Uh, They're in persecution. They live under Roman rule. The Colosseum is going to flow with the blood of believers. And the same is true for us. There will still be terrorists. There will still be cancer. There's still going to be things that we wish weren't happening. But something changed inside of them because they had the hope of God living inside of them. They had the hope of the resurrection, and their eyes were open. I put it this way. Breaking bread with Jesus took them from, what a bummer, it's Friday, to thank God it's Sunday. And that could happen to you. Look at how it changes them. They get up at once and returned at once to Jerusalem. Immediately. What, what, how far was Jerusalem? Seven miles. They just walked from Jerusalem. It doesn't even say they finished eating. They immediately went back and went right back to Jerusalem. Why? There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen. You see the difference that hope makes? They're walking away from Jerusalem because they're in Friday and their faces are downcast and they're rude to a stranger and they don't want to believe anybody and they don't want to be around anybody. And then they get Sunday and they immediately change. They don't need food. They don't need anything. They want to turn. They want to run. They want to tell everybody it's true. Jesus is alive. People are like, why are you preaching 10 times on Easter? That's crazy. No, it's not. I want to tell people that Jesus is alive. We have 14 services because it's the best story in the world, and it'll change your life. We'll keep doing it. We'll we'll keep doing it until the 4th of July if you want to. I don't care. It's the best story ever. It'll change your life. Now, something I notice here is important. I hadn't noticed this before, this, this, this sermon. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
Well, it sounds normal. It sounds kind of like what Jesus did at the Last Supper. If, you, if you're familiar with that passage, you know, when we do communion, that's what Jesus did. He had everybody come up to the Last Supper. You know, they had this big, this big you know, table. Everybody's on one side for the picture, you know, and everything. And they, and they have this big supper. And Jesus, you know, he passes out the bread. He breaks the bread and he passes out and he blesses it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Sounds the same, except I, I just, it, I realized that the, the verbiage sounds so much the same. I never really thought about it before. It's not his house. This is not his house. I mean, at the Last Supper, he rented the room. He provided for everybody. He's a guest in their home. Why is he breaking the bread? Why is he passing out the bread? I I don't know about you, but when I go to eat at somebody else's house, I don't pass the food out. I got to be really hungry. You know, come on. All right, here we go. Let's go. I'm hungry. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't normally do that. Even though I'm the pastor, I don't naturally pray. Sometimes people want the official, let's not choke prayer, brother pastor. I know that. And, and I'll do it. But if it's your house, it's your prayer. It's your bread. You pass it out. Why is that important? <laughs> it's important because what you need to know is that even though Jesus is going to knock on the door here, of your heart, and he's not going to kick the door down. Once he's inside, he doesn't want to be a guest in your house. He wants to be the host. I, I put it this way so you'd remember it. He doesn't want to be a resident. He wants to be the president. He doesn't want to just live there. He, he, he wants to run your life. We have guests at our house. You do this too. We have guests at our house. We always say, hey, Come on in, make yourself at home. You know, if they're spending the night, we say, just make yourself at home. Mi casa su casa. Here's the refrigerator. Here's the microwave. Here's the remote control. Our, our home is yours. Make yourself at home. I don't mean that. <laughs> I want the remote control back. And there's some closets you better not go in. I'm not going to be happy. You know, some drawers I'd like for you to stay out of. And if I get up the next morning and you're going through my email and you're going through my checkbook, you know, I, I'm not going to be happy with that. I, I don't really mean it. I, I want you to feel at home, but I don't really mean it. And a lot of people come to Jesus that way. They're like, yeah, Jesus, come on in, you know, but, but you've got to stay over in this little spot. Dallas Willard talks about, him, about Christians who, uh, who just do sin management. He calls them, <laughs> he calls them vampire Christians. Because they just want a little blood for their sins, but they don't want anything more to do with Jesus until they get to heaven. That's not what Jesus does. And that's a good thing. I, I want to assure you. Because sometimes people are like, okay, I need forgiveness for my sins, but you know, I still want to live my life the way I want to live it. Listen, let me tell you something. If God is your Father and He created you, then He knows the best way for you to live. And the best life you can have is a life that's just like Jesus. And the only way to have a life like Jesus is to let him run it. Forget about sin management. Richard Foster said the life that Jesus gives is intended to go way beyond forgiving sins and actually to the point of breaking the power of sin in your daily life. The best life you can possibly have is the one where Jesus is the president. Now, how does that happen? Well, you probably figured out by now. It happens by raising the white flag, right? For thousands of years, is a universal symbol of I surrender. I, I, know, I know I'm done. I'm going to die. Might as well surrender. Did a little study of surrender this week and uh, was reminded of a story. Maybe you studied it in history. Of the, the last remaining holdout in World War II was a uh, 
Japanese army officer named Hiro Onoda, who was uh, in a jungle post in the Philippines. So, you know, I mean, World War II was spread out over so many places that a lot of times, I mean, even Unbroken, if you, if you read or saw that, I mean, you know, they didn't know the war was over for sure for a while. He's in this little tiny island in the Philippines, and he has no idea. But even when people come to him and say, hey, it's over, the war is over, he doesn't believe them. And so for years, literally years, he lives on this little island and he's existing on barely having enough food, just bananas and coconuts and whatever he can find. And whenever a villager comes into his area, he assumes they are still at war. He assumes they are the enemy and literally documented cases of Hiro Anoda killing villagers that he thought were the enemy who were just in the wrong place at the wrong time because he was still at war. This is a picture of Hiro Anoda finally giving his sword to the president of the Philippines in 1974. For 29 years, he refused to wave the white flag. For 29 years, he existed in a horrible life, barely getting by. For 29 years, everybody around him was considered an enemy and was in danger. Some of you have been living like that. It's time to raise the flag. I was flipping through the radio stations a couple days ago and I landed on a country station. I heard this song just really broke my heart in a, in a country way. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's a country song. It's Casey Musgrave's new song, Broken Merry-Go-Round. And it's a country song, so it's got to be cutesy with the lyrics, you know, and stuff. And I'm listening to this song, and it's about the broken merry-go-round. So everything has to do with Mary, you know. Mama's hooked on Mary Kay. Brother's hooked on Mary Jane. Brother's hooked on Mary, or daddy's hooked on Mary two doors down. Just typical, sad, Friday song. She said, it's the same hurt in every heart. It's the same trailer, different park. We're all just on that broken merry-go-round. Round and round and round it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. I'll tell you where it stops. It stops when you surrender. It stops when you take the white flag and say, okay, I'm done. I'm done with war. I'm done battling against the things that you want me to do. I'm handing over my sword. Today is your day to give up the sword. This is where the broken merry-go-round stops. When you surrender your life to Jesus. When he was at the table with them, the text said, he took the bread and gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them and their eyes were opened. That's what I'm praying is gonna happen here. Um, Scholars have debated as to, you know, why this is the way that it was. Why weren't they kept, why were they kept from recognizing him? And why did they recognize him here? The theory I like the best about the recognizing him part is that when Jesus broke the bread and began to give it to them, it said, when he began to give it to them, his sleeve would have crept up his arm far enough for them to see the nail scars. And that's when they recognized him. That's when they knew this was, the, this was the Son of God who died for them to pay for their sins and the Son of God who is alive. So there is hope. I'm praying for that to happen to you right now.
as we take communion together. Let's pray. Lord, for those of us who uh, have been living in Sunday for a long time, thank you for the weekly reminder, the weekly breaking of bread that, that reminds us that there is power in the resurrection and forgiveness in the cross. Whatever we do with these flags, Lord, just help them to be a reminder for us that we give up. And for those who maybe been away from you for a while, maybe they've let you in the door, but they've kept you in the guest room. They, they, they've kept some parts of their heart closed off. Maybe they forgot you were even there. Let this breaking of bread be a moment that, that they re-surrender. Because I know I need to do that every day. And if there are people in this room who've always lived their life in Friday, even if it doesn't feel like a broken merry-go-round to them, and they know deep down in their heart that there's no hope unless somebody else can take care of it for us, will you let them open their heart to you and say, Jesus, come in. I want you to be the president. I give my life to you. Let this breaking of a bread be a supernatural, special moment in this place, just like it was 2,000 years ago. In Jesus' name we pray.